0: about to inspire you with the stories of real people welcome to Our current life with your host jimmy gould in the next hour you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world listen as jimmy gets their real story of success both the highs and the lows we hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey now here's jimmy
1: Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my very special guest and dear friend, Mary Lou Fiala. Mary Lou, welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jimmy. I'm extremely happy to have you as a guest on my show. I've wanted to for a while. Uh, I want to give our audience a proper introduction. Mary Lou is the non-executive chairman of Build-A-Bear Workshop. She served as vice chairman, president, and COO of Regency Centers Corporation, and is a current member of the board of directors of Regency and general growth properties as well. Mary Lou served as Senior Vice President Director of Stores for Macy's, and she's also a former chairman of the International Council of Shopping Centers. You know, Mary Lou, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that we all experience and overcome to get where each of us is meant to be. So, on that note, I'd like to start with your early years and ask you about your childhood, where you grew up, and kind of what you were like as a child.
2: I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio. Um, in a small town, about 23,000 people, and um, in a Catholic, private Catholic school, and grew up in just a great environment, great family. Um, and what was I like as a child? Probably not much different than I am today. Um, but I have a wonderful family background, and would be glad to tell you more about it if you'd like.
1: Well, did you have certain aspirations and dreams as a child? I mean, did you... You know, I know when I was young, I wanted to be a baseball player, and I wanted to, you know, be in motion pictures, and that's all I could ever think about morning, noon, and night. And, of course, that was the exact opposite of what my father wanted me to do, because everybody everybody had been lawyers. So what what were your dreams and aspirations?
2: You know, when I was a kid, I was just a kid, and my parents always said, you know, really had two messages for me, was to um, get an A in conduct, an A in effort, use my talents, and whatever made me happy. So I really didn't even think much about it until I was in seventh grade, and in seventh grade we had a career day at my school, and back then they put the boys in one room and the girls in the other room, and there were three people who came in career day. There was a buyer, there was a teacher, and there was a flight attendant, and I really wanted to be a flight attendant. But I was too short. I'm only five foot two, so I couldn't do that. I knew I didn't want to be a school teacher. Um, for whatever reason, I just didn't. I respect school teachers the utmost, but It wasn't my deal. So I decided to be a buyer, and from seventh grade on, that's what I knew I was going to do.
1: Well, the uh, you know it's changed a lot since then, hasn't it? With the separation of the boys and the girls and. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm curious about, you know, it would probably be a different group of people that would be coming into a room today to see, you know. Uh, I know when we had our career days, you know, I'd never really, I never really kind of looked at the rest of the world and what everybody else was doing. I was just so passionate about sports, which I think, uh, you know, we were just raised that way. I went to games all the time and everything, and so... I didn't really question a lot and we lived in in Cincinnati, not you know, a couple hours from where you were and 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 it was a neighborhood, so everybody kinda hung out in the neighborhood. When you look back on on that time, was there was there besides the great things that happened, were there any particularly tough moments, something that sticks out that you had to fight through to overcome?
2: Oh, yeah, there were plenty. Let, before I answer that, if you don't mind, Jimmy, let me tell you a little bit about my background. And sure. I think it will help understand and paint the picture of why I was able to overcome some of the things that I could. Um, my father was in the 82nd Airborne, and he was a paratrooper and, and dropped on D-Day at St. Mariglis. And I have all the letters that he wrote. My grandmother and grandfather, and decided that at that point in time, my dad said the only way to ever make any money is to run your own business because they were all factory workers. My grandfather, during the Depression, built an apartment building, and in that apartment building, um, I was born, you know, 10 years after the war, but in that depart- apartment building was my grandmother and grandfather all my dad's brothers, and all of the family. So I really grew up somewhat like you talk about, about except you had people on the street. Uh-huh. All my best friends were my cousins and my siblings, and it was a pretty special environment. Um, you know, brought up with some real core values of going to church every day, doing the best, family were your best friends. Um, and in the meantime, my mom came from a home that her mother was a single parent, which was unusual back then. And so mom had to be very strong. So I had a very strong, wise mother. And my parents had a passion for airplanes, and both of them flew. Airplanes had their own planes, and my mom actually flew before she could drive. So I kind of paint that picture because we had this wonderful life, And in some ways, here we live in a little apartment, but we had a farm and we had airplanes. My mom flew. She was a stay-at-home mom. So we had just a real different, I think, um, environment, but a wonderful environment. So your question is, was there anything that I had to overcome? And the biggest thing that I had to overcome it you know, was this happy family when i was 13 my brother died in a, a just horrible horrible accident that pretty much destroyed my parents and my dad's business and so at 13 i went from this perfect happy environment everything was great to my father you know having a real tough time a mental breakdown and leaving home for a while my mother depending on prescription drugs and you were a 13 year old kid trying to figure out whether you were going to be a good kid, a bad kid, and how you were going to get through it. Um, but I did. And my sister, had you know, she was eight years older, so she's gotten married. So you get through it and you decide what you're going to be. And I think at that point you kind of figure out, are you going to make the most of your life? Are you going to be a victim in your life? Are you really going to do what you want to do? And whatever that is. And um, I chose the latter, which I'm glad I did.
1: You know, I it's um, I, I mean I think you and I have gotten to know each other over over I mean I guess it's close to a decade now, maybe mm-hmm. a little longer. And you're an amazing woman and an amazing person because you have such a big heart and such a strong will and. I don't think that I can ever see you... Not, I, I just don't see you as ever somebody who says no. I mean, you know, you may say no because it's the right decision, but you, you, you tend to think out of the box and you look at things and, and, and you have the, the, the strong, the strength of character as well as the spiritual depth. And I think a lot of that probably grew out of that time. I know when I woke up on Christmas and I was told that my mother had just died, I was five and I had no idea about anything, and I, I didn't really have a, a memory of her in a happy moment. Uh-huh. And I think that's the adversity you're talking about. I, I I don't know. I mean, it took me, frankly, a lot longer to get through it and figure out what I wanted to do. But I'm curious, as you were in that moment, if you can think back to that specific time, as difficult as it was, you, was there a, a person or was there a, a particular thing that, that came over you, or that came into your life that helped you get through it? Because I think that's the thing we're all looking at today because so many people are on edge today mm-hmm. and they've lost such confidence. And, and it takes people like yourself who are leaders to make a difference in people's lives.
2: Well, it's, so that's a great question and kind of hard to answer. There wasn't one individual at that point in time. Um, you know, I had my girlfriends, as a typical teenager, and and that I think, you know, the thing that really got me through it clearly. Was the fact that I was brought up with a lot of faith. And I really felt that the Lord kind of walked me through those years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I, I made good choices. And I was, you know, involved in school, leading my high school musical, good student, you know, a dancer, photographer for a yearbook. I, I stayed active. I found positive things to do. I had really good friends. Um, and then it just, I saw my parents, especially my father, over time begin healing. And as you saw the fact um, that they, you know, started healing, and then you go, gosh, if they can get through that, so can mm-hmm. I. So I would say of anybody, my father was an inspiration, even though that first year was a tough year. He came back, he pulled it together, and over time he became happy again. And so, you know, I, I took a lot of strength, and I probably learned the most from him.
1: Would you say he was one of your heroes growing up? Oh, he
2: is my hero. <laughs> He's wow. a, He really is. I just admire him. He was fun. Is a great father, a great businessman. Just everything about Dad was just a joy.
1: You know, you, you and I have talked about this before, so I'm curious really what faith means to you.
2: Oh, it's my life. You know, I think, Jimmy, it's just one of those things that I wake up every day and I pray and ask to um, the Lord to guide me for that day to do what He wants me to do. And um, it just, and, and it makes you, I mean, for me, it's, just makes you stay grounded, making sure you're making the right decisions for people and for the business or whatever job you're doing. And it keeps you grounded to appreciate all that you have and not what you don't have. And, you know, my mother used to say, and I got a kick out of her, she's like, always be happy with who you are and what you have because there's somebody who's always going to be taller because we were short, thinner because she thought weight, <laughs> and prettier and richer. So just be happy with who you are. I think that's a good, good lesson that work hard at everything you do. You know, and the other thing I, I may have said that she I always said, you know, get an A in conduct and an A in effort. And I think that's true in life, that if you're out there followed by the the right values, doing things for the right reason, and you're working hard and you're behaving, um, you're good.
1: Don't you think gratitude's a big deal? And I try to teach that to my kids every day because, you know, sometimes they get mad and say, well, you know, my life would have been, different if you hadn't gotten divorced, you know, and stuff. I said, is there anything that you don't want that you probably don't get? And he said, no, actually, you're right about that. I feel really fortunate. And that helped lead him to building the hoops for the homeless and for the veterans when he found out that 50% of the homeless were veterans. And he started thinking about outside of himself. Mm -hmm. And and I know you're acutely aware of what goes on around you, not just from your business side, but from Mm -hmm. a personal, spiritual side. How does gratitude play a role? And how also... And what maybe is the one thing that you have learned through your life that maybe is different that you looked at when you were a child?
2: Okay, so I think a couple of things. One is I 100% agree with you in terms of gratitude for all of us, whether you have a nice life and it's easier at times, everybody's going to have their ups and downs and be grateful for what you try to learn from it and move on. And it's interesting what you've said about your son, Jimmy, is the same thing I've done with our three daughters, is that each one of them have gone through times where they were dumped by a boyfriend or got fired from a job and different things. So what I've always said during those times, the best way really to get your head straight and mentally get out of it is to do something for someone else. So my daughter in college, when her boyfriend dumped her, she ended up um, working at a shelter for unwed mothers. And, boy, it didn't take her long (laughs) before she completely forgot about herself and was grateful. I think you can't tell your kids to be grateful for what they have. They have to learn it themselves. And the twins happened to be laid off during a tough time of the economy at the same time. So they started a foundation, um, the two of them, and put uh, 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 usually an immigrant um, through college every, every four years. They've built it up so that they're putting somebody else, and not just putting them through college in terms of uh, income and, and donations, which they get, but also helping them fill out the applications, helping them learn how to dress, practice with them when they're preparing to get jobs. And, you know, that was the best thing that they've ever done. And they still continue it, and they're both very successful in their own rights and their own careers. So I think, you know, to answer your question, what I've learned, I think when you're young you think of this, quote-unquote, perfect ideal life, you know, kind of Ozzie and Harriet and what everybody has, and... And I had that for a lot of years. But when things change, you, you know, it's like I said, you either appreciate what you have and live every day and are grateful for it, don't think about what you don't have, and spend your time thinking about other people instead of being so self-absorbed. And I think that's just natural for young people. They are self-absorbed.
1: Well, you know, it's a great answer you just gave because I think about it. First of all, it's a beautiful moment when your kids get the fact that there's something greater going on in, in the world around them than just what's going on in their immediate, you know, life. And, and you can see the light go off, and it's a beautiful thing to watch because, it, it, you know, it, it I know it recently happened with both of my kids, and and it just, you know, it, it's probably the proudest moment I've had of both of them. It doesn't have anything to do with their sports or anything else. It's when that light goes off and they start caring about the world and about other people and, you know, and the compassion and the things like that, which is really what you're talking about Mm-hmm. The, you know the thing uh, that I find interesting, and I think this has happened a lot in relationships and i 've not been particularly successful in relationships as you know about me because we 're such close friends mm-hmm. and 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 I do want to talk about your great husband Jerry, and about mm-hmm. your family but i, I, have, I have, 'm curious about something because in doing this show, I think a lot of us have grown up because we had the television and we had the perfect family, and we had the you know, whether it was Mary, Mary Tyler Moore or was the Brady Bunch or whatever it mm-hmm. was, with, with an idea of the perfect world of, you know, or the, uh, you know, the two cars in the garage and the, and the chicken in every pot, whatever it was after mm-hmm. the war, you know, in the baby boomer generation. And I think, you know, I think a lot, and I don't just say just women, but I think women, maybe a little bit more than men, you may disagree with it, come into a relationship and they think they've got perfection. And there, and to me, I don't believe perfection exists. I believe you strive. It's you know. There's a great saying spiritually: progress, not perfection. And I think that we're sometimes tricked into believing that oh, we've met the perfect situation or it's going to be perfect. Have you ever seen that in your life?
2: No, there is no such thing as perfect. I don't believe, but per there is perfect, but perfect is. I think accepting reality and knowing you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, you're going to get in fights, you're going to love each other, you're going to have fun, your kids are going to make bad decisions, but you're going to help help them through it, help them help themselves through it. And I think it's so much of being perfect. Like we always say we have the perfect dysfunctional family. We really have a wonderful family, but I think the reason why our family is so strong and so happy is every one of us has our stuff and we know what each other's stuff is and our flaws and we just accept it. But we call each other out if it needs to be called out, but we just accept it. So I think perfect is accepting who your family is, who you are, who your friends are, and um, being happy to have them with all the things that are part of them. And the people, I think, who get disappointed are the people who expect this unreal life. And, and you know, you and I, as well as I'm sure people who are listening, know so many people. And is there anybody who has what they deem a perfect life? And I think even if you had it, it's still not perfect. Right. You know, I didn't and I, think, yeah. Yeah, I just don't think you have it.
1: Well, I actually wouldn't want it. So I think that the adversity, the ups and the downs, and seeing the... You know, I always laugh at some of the things I see, and it gives me great pleasure to see people change because I think change is the only constant we got. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I want to talk a little bit about how you met your wonderful husband, Jerry, and, and about your family. And I know. You're such a family person. Will you talk a little bit about how you two met and a little bit about your family?
2: Sure. I was divorced, and uh, for my first husband, I was married to him for 25 years, and wasn't a happy marriage. It was a tough marriage, and being Catholic and being everything I just said, being brought up the way I was, it took me a lot to make the decision to um, not be married, and so disappointed that, in my view, that is a failure, but a failure that I can live with and accept, um, about a year after um, I was divorced, and my twins were still in high school, Jenny was out of college. I have three daughters: Susan, Sarah, and Jennifer. And um, I, my best friend from out of right out of college in our first job, and stayed friends all these years, um, said that she worked with somebody that was this great guy, and she talked about him before, but I wasn't ready to even think mm-hmm. about dating. And so I went on a blind date with him, um, with my girlfriend Beth and her husband. And we met, we got along, and three years later we got married and we've been happily married for 14 years. And wow. he's my best friend and we have fun every single day. And it's just great. So I, um, I'm a lucky woman, really lucky.
1: Well, it's a great story and it's a great, you know, uh uh, you figure it out, I guess. Because I mean, it's it's one of the great lessons that I'm still learning. Because <laughs> I'm I'm probably not the easiest person to live with, but I can tell you when I look at your relationship with Jerry and your family and your beautiful family, and I read your Christmas notes and all okay. this stuff, I I admire that, I respect that, and I think I think acceptance is a big part of of of, of all of that. It's 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 not trying to change somebody but accepting who they are and then learning how to fit in together and how to make it work, and
2: well, you've done a beautiful age, job of Jimmy, that. there's things that when you're younger bother you, that when you get to a certain age, you're kind of like, <laughs> how important is that really? You know, yeah. so when you have discussions on things, you make the decision of you let more things go than you did. I think the second thing, at least my weakness being young, is I wanted to prove that I was right if we were in an argument. <laughs> and you realize that right doesn't matter. Right. you know it doesn't matter it's it's you're in a relationship and he looks at things one way and i look at things the other way and i think the other thing that i've learned was that when if i do get upset about something i usually don't say anything till the next day and that has been one of the best disciplines that i've ever had both at work as well as home, is that if it still bothers me the next day, it's mm-hmm. worth discussing. And probably yeah. 10 to 20% of the things still bother me the next day. And then you deal with it. But you also are dealing with it not at the moment, not emotional, much more calmly. And you tell the person how you feel and what happened the day before and how you feel about it today. Um, but 80% of it goes away, and you go, oh, are you kidding? I can't believe I was even going to bring that up. You know, so it's, um, it, it's just some lessons.
1: Well, I'm probably, 80, I'm probably in the 80% category because I probably deal with it head-on, and that's probably, probably the lesson I've got to learn. So I'm, I'm going to hang more with you in Colorado and, and yeah, learn I'd from love you that. and Jerry.
2: I'd love that. I'd love that. And then my daughters, you ask about them. I've got three yes. great daughters. Jennifer is 43 yesterday. And happily married for 20 years and has two great kids, um, Drew's in high school and Sam's in junior high, um, wonderful, wonderful children. Um, and the twins are both married. Sarah lives in New York, and she's head of marketing and social media for the International Council of Shopping Center, and, which is a big organization, and Susan lives in California, and she got married over the summer, and we have two step grandchildren now as a result of that. Because it's his second marriage, and she's doing extremely well. So, right now we knock on wood because everybody's everybody's good.
1: Well, it sounds beautiful. I want to. Um, we got a couple of minutes before we take a break. I want to ask you how. You really started launched your career and uh, in the retail industry. and you talked earlier about you know you kind of knew what you wanted to do on that, I guess it was in, in school when that person came in the room. Uh-huh. Can you take a couple minutes and tell us just kind of how you got started on your career? and then when we come back after the break, we'll we'll focus a lot more on your career.
2: Sounds good. Um, yeah, out of college, I ended up being a retailing major and graduated and went through, you know, the normal interviews and I was married so my husband and I had to find a city that we both had a job and we both graduated from Miami University in Ohio. Yeah. And we um, I ended up with a federated department stores, which you guys know. And sure. Cincinnati is was Rike's based out of Dayton, Ohio. My husband ended up going with an insurance firm. And so I started out as executive trainee. Um and then I was making $9,000 a year my first year and I thought that was great. And um still really worked my way up through the training from stores to buying line and um moving, you know, pretty quickly. And um I can talk a little about later about why I felt like I right. did move quickly.
1: I, the question that I probably that comes to mind because I see you as strong, such a strong person, and such a strong woman, and such a strong influencer for women in the workforce. How, throughout your career, if you look back on it, um, you know, has it have have things changed in the workforce for women? Number one, and number two, what were some of the challenges you had to face and overcome?
2: Well, things have changed because now you've got my generation and um, role models for. Like my, ch- my children's generation. So I think they don't have the obstacles of not thinking that not only can they do it, but should they do it? And um, that certainly psychologically was difficult. In the retail world, it was pretty easy to move up as a woman to a certain level. Um, you know, to a vice president and maybe to a senior vice president, although there weren't many of us at all. Um, So I think that, and then you got stuck. It was truly a glass ceiling and still is to some extent, um, where really, so I felt pretty good about everything, but then when I switched my career into real estate, and uh, boy, was that a different world, because there were absolutely not one woman at all running any real estate companies, commercial real estate companies. And so I literally had people... When I took that role, say, I'm not working for a woman, and it was difficult. So one of the lessons that I learned is you can't focus on other people. You just kind of goes back to that core values. If you're doing things for the business that's right, and you're doing things to help the people who work for you, over time, you'll gain respect. And in every job and every place, that happened. But it wasn't easy.
1: Well, well, it's uh, it, it's very interesting, and you went through a period of time where, obviously, you've you've you probably took a lot of hits for people that followed. Uh, it's time for us to take a commercial break. This is Jimmy Gould with my very special guest and dear friend Mary Lufiala. You're listening to A Current Life, brought to you by Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Outspace Mall Network. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: the experts call toll-free
1: right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com
3: the stove the refrigerator all the pots and pans the sink sure take the kitchen sink too Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig
1: Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info.
3: At Wild Things... We've been making alpine clothing and packs right here in the USA since 1981. In fact, we began by stitching together extremely light climbing gear that guys on the mountain were trying to make on their own. It was a big deal in 1981, making Wild Things the gear of choice for some of the world's most demanding alpine climbers. Of course, the climbs and the climbers are now the stuff of legend. Inspiration for the next group to realize the freedom of moving over rock and ice in a fast and light way. The rest, three decades of elation, misery, epics, and near misses, we put back into everything we make. Light, durable, functional, packable. Wild Things Gear is made and tested by those who live in it. Available exclusively at wildthingsgear.com. Stay wild.
0: When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me.
3: Who doesn't love their Keurig
1: Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All
3: without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the
1: time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is life at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back to A Current Life. This is Jimmy Gould, my very special guest and dear friend Mary Lou Fiala. Uh, you're listening to A Current Life, brought to you by Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Space Mall Network. Um, Mary Lou, uh, we talked uh, before the break about kind of your career as a woman in a workforce. When you started your career in retailing, you then transitioned into an executive training program and later became a buyer. Was it a, a dream or a goal or part of the process or, or kind of roadmap to, to go into a corporate setting? Well,
2: I tell you, it was more of a practical... Uh, decision than anything else. So I, um, you know, was a buyer and then I uh, got pregnant with my twins and I ended up having, um, having the girls and taking two years off. And so where I really liked the buying job, when I went back to work, I ended up going back into stores so I wouldn't have to travel So I can't say that I had, I'm not one of those people that had everything laid out. I think I went with the journey and made decisions that were best for my family as well as ended up for my career.
1: You know, as you look at that, and and even today, taking two years off, I think you were 27 years old at the time, Mm -hmm. was, I mean, how difficult was that transition of coming back and, and and going right back at it. And I know it, it isn't just for women today, too. It's men and women, and the way our society has become uh, just very different. How did that affect you, and, and, and what else did that kind of pile on you at that time, and how did it affect your home life?
2: Well, it was hard. I mean, I, um, it was hard. You've, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, as I mentioned, and so you, she did all the things, you know, baked the cookies, did the things at school, and was the school mom, did all that stuff. And when you have a full-time career, um, you're not able to do all those things. So I would say what I did right during that time was I decided that the only few things I could do well were my family and my job. And so I didn't really, we didn't have a social life. I didn't work out the way I should have. There were a lot of things I didn't do because I couldn't do it all, Um, at least certainly not at that time. So there were pressures at home sometimes, but I tell you, I think the one thing that I learned is I was so happy doing my job and so happy being my mom or their mom. I, I feel like at the end of the day, I probably was a better mom than I would have been had I just stayed home. And um, it was a situation, Jimmy, that um, I I had to go back to work financially. It wasn't a choice. And I remember thinking that if I have to go back to work, it kind of goes back to those core values. Get an A in effort, A in conduct, and use your talents. And so if you have to go back to work, do the best you can, work as hard as you can, um, and, and quite honestly, I thought, and I'll see how much money I can make. And because I saw people at like a sales manager level working every bit as hard as the people who ran Macy's at that time. And you're going, gosh, you know? So then I had to evaluate, was I capable of doing another job? Was I smart enough? What was I good at? What wasn't I good at? And... I always went through that process when I'd kind of get to a point of doing a job kind of feeling like I'd cap myself out and kind of bored, is, okay, the next job is this. Do I really want it? And what does it mean to my family if I get it? And we'd have family discussions. Okay, guys, you know, this is what it mean. This is what it's going to mean. And we'd make decisions together as a family. So it wasn't easy. I'd, I would love to say, oh, yeah, you can do it all and have it all, but you really can't, and you really have to pick and choose.
1: You know, uh, you and you and I have talked about this, and you mentioned it before. You really um, have to be passionate about what you do and work hard. How did you find your passion? And and I can see where your work ethic came from, and I see it every day because we're so close. But where your where did that passion come from that that allowed you to go back after two years of having the the family and and, and, and also balancing, because you talk so, so great about how you balance your professional and your personal life. And I think a lot of what you're about is, is, is that you're so deeply passionate about what you do.
2: Mm hmm. I, um, you know, I don't know where the passion came from, I guess. I saw my dad and his family and be so passionate about everything. So it probably, I was just born with it. But what I tell you that I got from my childhood was I had zero fear of loss, like none, I, probably because I'd lost, by that time I was 43 years old, my parents were deceased, my sister was deceased, my brother was deceased, so you know you've lost pretty much what you can lose. So it wasn't important to me, except for my family, if I did something and failed. So I never, ever, ever worried about failure. You know, I would tell you, on one hand, I never felt I was quite qualified to have the next job. But I thought, eh, you know, if I fail, I'll find something else. So I never had fear. And I think that came from my family base, my religious base, and probably being a little naive of really what it would have meant. But I just had zero fear.
3: It
1: sounds like you felt you would end up, you would land on your feet no matter what happened. And that, like, I think I... Think about it when one door closes, another one opens, and you have to have a deep spiritual belief to feel that way and i and i I do believe i mean i 'm a firm believer that adversity, if it doesn 't kill you, it only makes you stronger and and I think that in a way, all that loss that you went through and i I went through it as well mm-hmm. um, i think gives you a different perspective about what really matters in life and you know, I, I, I'd look at it. I mean, I, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, we do. We invest in companies, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And we certainly work as hard, probably harder on the ones sometimes we lose and the ones that win. But, you know, if you go about things in the right way, putting one foot in front of the other, and you're passionate about it, and you listen to your inner voice, which I think is, is your God-given voice, and you, and you work with integrity, which is what I see you're all about, Don't you feel it just ends up where it's supposed to be and the rewards just come as a result of it?
2: Always. 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 No. Always. I I can't even begin to tell you. It's like when you give, you get, but you never expect to get. And I think if you can live life that way, that you're a giver and, you know, you're not somebody who expects things back, you're always surprised at how much you get back. And I don't even just mean financially. I just mean every way, every way, shape, and form. It's just a great way to live. Um, and you know, and I'm not perfect at it. Trust me, I have my moments, like everybody does. But I try real hard.
1: How how do you um, how do you deal with the stress that comes? You know, a lot of people think about retailing and they think about the stress and the long hours and you know and and obviously, even being a woman in the corporate world and in, and in the days that you were you know starting out and doing that, you had to carry a lot of stress around with you. How did you manage through that? i mean at one point, you were managing nineteen Macy stores mm-hmm. you were you were raising your twins you know you were you were balancing a lot of things and you were also in a you know with a glass ceiling and a glass floor and a lot of stuff how Was it your faith that got you through? was it the, the hard work or what is it that really kind of shown through all that? I
2: think I could, um, and, and I would say this is a strength and weakness, so take it kind of for what it's worth. I think at that stage, I was really good at compartmentalizing my life. Hmm. I had my work life, and I had my home life, and it's not like I didn't bring the kids into work on Saturday when I worked in the office, but I really did. So when I was home, I turned off work and focused on the family.
1: Well. Wow. But, you know, I think um, I've often said that I'm a multitasker, but I think in order to be a multitasker, you do need to compartmentalize, at least in your brain. And the other thing you need to do, which I think you're unparalleled in this regard, and that is the, you know, you, you, you're you all about team building and and, and you know, you're And clearly, you know, you're a leader and you think out of the box. So talk to me about, you know, what kind of the key qualities you look for in people when building a team, which you've certainly done in several situations.
2: Um, I look for people, you know, who are smart. That is extremely important to me. People who have the same work ethic that I do. Um, And then I look at people who balance out my skill sets. You know, I think one of my strengths has been knowing what I'm good at, what I'm not. And making sure that I have people in my organization who are uh, better at things than I am. And, or, you know, have more in-depth knowledge. And then I feel like once I evaluate the people who work for me, then I spend a lot of my time on strategy and making sure that they have the resources to do their job so that they're not worrying about their jobs there's no politics, they don't over-report, and that they have what they need so they can spend their time executing, and people who enjoy that, and uh, it's been fun. I would tell you the one job that I had when I was up in Boston and turned the Jordan Marsh stores into Macy's stores, and we had a lot of success, Um, they had been kind of beaten down that whole organization for years and used to mediocrity and used to failure. So when you took away that from them and said, what do you need? We're not failing anymore. Let's get going. There were the majority of people who were thrilled and who wanted to win. And there were some people who then it made them very accountable who didn't like it anymore. It was like, ooh, no, 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 we're used to this. And you just couldn't let it happen.
1: You know, you, you went from retail to real estate, and I'm curious what provoked such a change, and how was it for you to make the decision to leave Macy's?
2: Well, it's kind of interesting. I was a senior vice president, regional director of stores for Macy's in a division, um, real successful. Um, my next job, if I would have gotten it, would have been in New York as director of stores, I'd lived in New York before as part of my career. I didn't particularly want to go back and and live in New York at that time. So I thought about, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay a regional? And eventually, you're going to be an old, overpaid regional, um, or should I leave at my peak? But then if I did, really, what did I want to do? And so I thought, my girls were the twins, were seniors in high school, and I thought, you know... I'm just going to open this up. This goes back to your faith of saying, what do you want, you know, where can I go? What do you want me to do? I'm not going to shut any doors. Thought about teaching college and I, I was fortunate enough to have enough money that I was able to, um, you know, put my girls through college. So at that time I didn't have to worry about anything but really just taking care of myself. So I let kind of the doors open and I got a call from a recruiter who said that there was a gentleman by the name of Bill Sanders who owned 14 REITs and he was looking for a retailer to uh, help him merge three of his REITs together and think about merchandising shopping centers. And it was grocery anchored centers, so it wasn't malls, like we would retail stores. So literally through a four-month process, because... I had to decide what was right for me as he had to decide what was right for the company. We um, got down to me and one other guy, and I had just taken this test for Federated that they took what they thought were the best merchants or the best store people, etc., take this test because they felt like they'd hire into this kind of person, you know, so that they found out who was successful in their organization, I'd just taken this test. I sent it to him, and the recruiter was not happy with me at all because everything wasn't perfect on it. And he called me up and said, you've got the job. He goes, reading this is like um, reading myself, and the only difference is I like to go in the room and close the door and think, and you like to talk to somebody about it. And I just laughed, and I go, that's a gender issue. (laughs) He started laughing. Uh. And so I ended up in real estate and had to learn it from scratch.
1: But, you know, I'm curious about the advice you would have for our audience about people who want to try different things and aren't sure about taking the risk and and what advice you would give them.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's one thing when you're sitting there saying that you had enough money to put your kids through college, so I was willing to take a risk. Um, You know, I think you have to take reasonable risk. And some people are fortunate to be in that position. If it's just a risk for yourself... I think it's an easy decision. Take it. If it's a risk for your family and you're the provider, you have to think it through because everybody suffers if you don't do well. So I had the confidence and I knew the ability that if I failed in this adventure of doing the real estate side, I could always go back and be a regional director of stores for any department store in the country because I knew I was good at it. So I would say if you know you're good at what you do, You know you can come back, maybe not to your own firm, but to a firm, um, and it's a reasonable risk that you're not putting so much pressure on yourself, I didn't feel like I had any pressure on me, Um, then you should take it.
1: You know, uh, Mark Twain said courage is resistance to fear and mastery of fear, not absence of fear. How do you master your fears, and how would you suggest others do that if they're making a change in their life? Because I think... Fear probably stops most of the people dead in their tracks before they even get out of the gate.
2: Yeah, I would say, um, first of all, you've got to be honest about what your fear is and why you have it. And I will tell you a story that when I was, I w- had a fear of speaking in public, petrified. Um, I was so hard on myself, I did So I decided that at, federated at the time I was going to teach training classes and honestly Jimmy I'd have my cards ready my note cards ready and I would start out nervous sometimes my voice would crack and I would just keep doing it and keep doing it and one day I was in my office and I'd forgotten that was a day for a class I didn't have my note cards or anything else and I knew the topic matter inside and out. I didn't need any note cards. It was stupid to have it. It was a security blanket. And so I went up there, probably for the first three or four minutes, I was a wreck. And it goes back to, I remember telling myself, this isn't about you, this is about them. You know this. And I forgot myself. And, you know, it's kind of a lesson throughout this whole thing that we've been talking about today, is I truly forgot myself. And it was the best, I'd ever done, and this little girl came up afterwards and said, thank you so much for teaching our class. Someday I hope to be able to speak as well as you. Wow. And from that day forward, I had no fear anymore. And I have spoken in auditoriums of 50,000 people and, and zero fear. But um, it, I had to break it. So I guess my advice is be honest with yourself. I never really figured out why I had it, but I had it. And just, boy, just keep working on it because you can get rid of it.
1: Well, that's a great a great answer and should encourage a lot of people to get past their fear. So let's move to the subject of build Workshop where we're both on the board of and 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 how much fun have you had with that and, and, and what have you learned from that and the experience with Maxine Clark, uh, the founder, and just some of the different things that you've seen there and, and how it's changed your life?
2: Um, first of all, the... Members of the board are phenomenal, so I have feel very fortunate to have met so many wonderful people, and everybody has their skill set, whether it has to do with audit committee or marketing or merchandising, and everybody has something or human resources that they bring to the table. So I learn a lot from my peer group at Build-A-Bear, and hopefully I contribute as much as I get um, Maxine is just an amazing woman. I mean, here, if you think about Maxine leaving traditional retail, like the same I was in, taking her risk and taking a concept and building it into hundreds of millions of dollars of business um, and the international business is pretty spectacular. And she is now a personal friend. Um, and so I've learned that through this process, is that it sure is fun when business is good. <laughs> it sure is fun building a big company and an organization. It's not so fun when it's not good and, and you have to downsize and make some of those tough decisions to close stores. But when you make the right decisions, again, goes back to what's right for the business, what's right for the shareholders, what's right for the people, um, you're, do- you're okay. And if you could kind of just keep that... Um, in your sights then you'll you know have a successful company and I think that's what our board has done and I'm pretty proud of where we're at and what's been accomplished.
1: You know I can't imagine my life without it. Uh, It's been a big part of my life as you know from the beginning and I love going to the meetings and sharing my time with Maxine and with you and now with Sharon and with Coleman and Thomas and Brad, all of us, you know, I think it's been a a great experience. I'm curious about the term that you've used a lot that I've heard you use, which is to add value, Mm -hmm. and what added value really means to you, and if you can kind of explain that to our audience.
2: Well, I think it depends on the topic that you're talking about, but I think all of our jobs um, in life are to add value, or there's really no purpose for us to be here. I think certainly at Build-A-Bear, you have uh, two constituents. Number one, you have your shareholders, and two, you have the people that you work with and the people who work in the company, and it is our job to make good decisions for those and good decisions for the shareholders. Um, In this case, it's adding value, creating a successful, having results, creating a successful culture where people can grow and build and have different experiences, whether it's international or, or just within the U.S. Um, and I think success, uh, both financially as well as um, building the right organization, um, is adding value. And I think adding value in personal life is, you know, whether it's your grandson who calls and says, I'm mad at my mom today. Um, Why can't she be more like you? (laughs) You're just going, it's because she's the mom and I'm the grandma and I get to do all the fun things and she doesn't. But you help him think through his issues and and add value that way. So in everything, that's what we're here for. And I think if people look at their own lives, whether they're going to work, if you're going to work and just doing your job and you're really not making your department, your company, the business, the people around you better... (laughs) You're really not adding value, and you're probably not very happy.
1: Well, let me ask you, because we only have about four minutes left, I want to really ask you to comment on two things in the next couple minutes. One is the Fiala Fellowship, and the other is, in a nutshell, as you look back on your life and the journey, what is the greater purpose of life? What is the real purpose of life as you see it, the meaning of life, the greater purpose of life? And if you could answer those things, then... Uh, I thank you for your time because it's been a rewarding experience to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you. So I would um, definitely say, Jimmy, that in terms of the Fiello Fellowship, um, I thank Hap Stein, He was the CEO of Regency, the company that we ran together. And when I retired... He said, you know, he was thinking about what gift he could give me. Do we have a big party? Does he buy me a diamond bracelet? You know, a gold watch. What do you do? And he came up with it. Um, But again, I think uh, some of it stemmed from where I spent my time. Um, As you mentioned, I was the chairman of the International Council of Shopping Center, which is an industry um, organization, nonprofit. And I spent a lot of my time there mentoring young men and women, and helping them in their careers, really having a similar conversation to where we're having now, oftentimes one-on-one. So what HAP felt was that they would give me for my retirement gift $100,000 for a foundation, $10,000 a year that we would mentor and help develop a young executive in the retail industry or in the real estate industry. And um, we're into almost our fifth year, and it's been extremely successful. And these young adults get exposure to top executives from all over the world. They also have an obligation to do a project to make the industry better, whether it is mentoring a project or it is a sustainability project. And they've really added value. And so yeah. it's really been a gift to be able to get that. and be What's able to the care.
1: website that people can go to to see this? Pardon? The website. Oh, they can go
2: to the International Council of Shopping Center and click on uh, the Fielo fe- Fellowship, and you can see it there.
1: Great. Well, and, uh, we have, unfortunately, just about a minute left in the show. How do you, what do you call the greater meaning of life? Um, it's,
2: I have, um, it's, to me, it, it's simple. It's not always easy to live, but it's easy to understand. And I've pretty much said this throughout. We're here to help each other to love each other, and to make the world a better place and use the talents that we were given by God. And I think if you can always think, and every example you've given, I've given, is to help each other, to love each other, and make the world a better place, um, and use your talents and get an A in conduct and an A in effort, that's about all you can do.
1: Well, you got my vote for president. Number one, and, and <laughs> I wouldn't want my, that job. And as my, uh, one of my two favorite girlfriends on the planet, uh, <laughs> you and, you and Maxine always, uh, it's been an unbelievable pleasure to have Mary Lou Fiala share her journey with us. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning into her current life on the Voice of America Variety Channel and our sponsors, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Ads Baseball Network. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, success. And to you, Mary Lou, all my love and all my gratitude for being in my life and being a dear, dear friend. And thank you.
2: Thank you, Jimmy, for everything.
1: All my best, hon. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for joining us for a current life on the voice america variety channel please tune in to another great program with your host jimmy gould next friday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time we'll see you next week